Let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's word as it's found in Hosea chapter 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Admah? How shall I set thee as Zeboam, mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion, and he shall roar Then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compasses me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as we come to this passage of scripture this morning, there is a lot of wonderful things in this passage that don't give us the time. And of course, this is a short exposition. And yet there's so much in here that we could talk about. And yet there are a number of sermons that we could address at some point. But here as we come to another sermon within the prophecy of Hosea, we've seen Israel turn away from the Lord and commit great sins. He calls her to repentance over and over again. But Israel remains obstinate and she will not repent. In chapter 10 last time we saw that she is described as an empty vine. A vine that brings forth fruit. But it's empty fruit. It's not fruit that produces holiness. And so now the prophet turns... To a message of hope and consolation in the midst of judgment. Remember Hosea's name means what? Salvation. And so that theme runs throughout all 14 chapters. Even in the midst of Israel's judgment. Even in the midst of her obstinate rebellion. God reminds her that his love is always 
faithful. So as we consider this morning chapter 11, I'd like for us to look first of all at verses 1 through 4 and see the goodness of God toward Israel. We see there in verse 1, this is the third time that Hosea goes back to the history of Israel and talks about her salvation. We see that in chapter 9, in verse 10, where he describes the history of Israel, where he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first stripe in the fig tree. Secondly, we see there in chapter 10, verse 1, that she is described as an empty vine. But here, we see in chapter 11, verse 1, that he describes Israel as a child whom he loved. One that he had brought out of Egypt. So the text tells us that God called her out. She was his son, and he was their father. We see this illustrated in three ways in this passage. First of all, we see this illustrated in God making a covenant with Israel. He brought them into covenant with himself. He called them out. Secondly, we see that they became his people, a separated and holy people. When Israel was standing before the mountain there at Sinai, what did the Lord God say to them? You are what? My people, my holy people, my own special people. And so they became his people because Israel was separated from all the nations around them. And thirdly, we see this illustrated in the fact that God entered into an oath. He swore an oath to them that he would be their God and they would be his people. We see this calling out of Israel from Egypt when Moses and Aaron in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22 called them out. They were the church in the wilderness. We often fail to see that in the Old Testament that under the Old Covenant administration Israel was a church. She was a house in the wilderness. She was in her infancy. But God brought her out And we see that here in verse 1. When he led them out of bondage, you remember what he told Pharaoh when he asked Pharaoh to release his people? He says, this is my firstborn. This is my son. She belongs to me. And so prophetically, verse 1 not only speaks of Israel coming out, But it also speaks of that passage there in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15. Where Matthew says, out of Egypt I have called my son. And so we see that the coming out of Egypt is a shadow and type of that latter day. It is a fulfillment and a pledge That Christ would bring salvation to his people. And we want to see that in the Old Testament. We don't want to miss that. That everywhere we see in types and shadows. That the Lord leads his people out. He would send them a redeemer. But guess what? They rebelled. They failed. In their wilderness wanderings. Moses and the prophets called to them. 
They issued warnings. They refused to listen. It is a gracious mercy of God for us. And I want, I want to emphasize this. It's a gracious mercy of God for him to call his people through the preaching of the word. That's what he did with Moses. He was a type of Christ. That's what he did with the prophets. He ushered the warning. Guess what? We're like Israel. Don't tell me. Don't, don't give me that, inf- that news. I don't want to hear it. And yet God continually called to his people. We see how great their sin was. And yet he called them out by his mercy. And they continued to ignore him. They continued to rebel. Perhaps children might relate to this some. Your mom and your dad say to do something. Oh, did you say something? That's like Israel. God continually called. They did not listen. They did not obey. But we see that they continued to sacrifice. Their sacrifice was synchronized with Old Testament biblical worship. Some would say it was pagan worship. It was. But they mixed it with the worship of God. And how easy it is even for the church in our day. To mix the worship of the true and living God. Which, with that which is false. But then in verse 3. We see again the goodness of God. He describes that he is like a loving father or mother who gathers his children and leads them. They do not know where to go. We see that he taught Ephraim. Ephraim is another word for Israel. He took them by their arms. But they did not know that he had healed them. Here we see the gracious mercy of our father. That he guides us like a shepherd. We oftentimes are confused. We oftentimes don't know the direction to go. And yet God leads them. Even in their rebellion. He leads them out. And he sends afflictions. To draw us unto him. Psalm 107 verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says. They cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he led them. In the right path. So we see the goodness of God as he led them, as he drew them, as a mother would lead a child. Have you ever seen a group of children in a shopping mall? I've always been intrigued with this. They have this long cord. You have all of these children on this cord holding on. Mother's keeping track of her children. The Lord oftentimes has to lead us and draw us because we are often so wayward and rebellious. But we see there in verse 4, and this is a beautiful uh, illustration here, where God says that I drew them with cords of a man, with bonds or with bands of love. Here we see that God draws them. God did not deal with man as a beast. And that's so important here when we see this. He drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. He did not treat Israel like their animals or their beasts where they had to force them or coerce them into doing what he wanted them to do. God gently drew them. God does not deal with man like a beast. 
that needs to be driven. God leads his people. This is what we, we often see, and we see this in the picture of the, of the shepherd. That sheep are not to be le- driven, they are to be led. You know the nature of sheep, some of you have sheep and goats. I am more predisposed toward goats for some reason, I've always liked goats. But when you look at sheep, they are not easily driven. And yet the Lord leads them. He tenderly leads them and deals with them as rational creatures. And how does he do that? He sends his law to govern them. He sends his ruler in the midst of them to direct them. And so these bands of love are bands that cannot be broken. He who watches over Israel, the psalmist says, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Saints, he watches over you day and night. He watches over you. He leads you. He directs you. And he will certainly lead and direct his people. But we see here, secondly, not only the goodness of God, but we see in verses 5 through 7, the continued rebellion of Israel. We see Israel's attitude in all three verses. Verses 5, 6, and 7. But we see the affliction that awaits them. What a stubborn and proud people she was. Their hearts were prone to wander. He does not send them back to Egypt. Notice there in verse 5. He will not send them back to Egypt. Why? Because he drew them out of Egypt. He took them out of that land. But now he will send afflictions to them. As he will send the Assyrian king to be their tyrant to rule over them. Oh, we need to be reminded how often God sends tyrants to rule over us. We think in election season, we'll get rid of all those tyrants. Tyrants will vote them out. Well, guess what? They're still there. God still sends them and they still rule over us. But God leads his people even in the midst of her, of her afflictions. But we see there particularly in verse 6 that he will send violence into their cities and they will not escape there is no security for Israel apart from obedience to God the sword verse 6 will abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels he will consume their branches he will take away their security He will take everything away from her that is dear to her. So that she might long for the living God. And God sends judgments to our nations. When God sends judgment to our cities. There's no escape. The evil and foolish counsel of men always opposes God. How long was Israel in captivity? 70 years. And you know what? God was patient with her. God continued to call to them. God continued to send afflictions. And yet she was bent on her backsliding. So we see there in verse 7. And my people are bent to backsliding. Though they called them to the most high. 
none at all would exalt him. And so we see the continued rebellion of Israel. But we see thirdly and finally in verses 8 through 12, God's promise of mercy even in the midst of his wrath. Remember there in verses 8 and 9, there's a series of four questions. These are actually four interrogations that God asks of himself. And I think this is important to note. Because the first question, or the first interrogation that God asks is, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Admah? How shall I make thee, or set thee as Zeboim? You know who Admah and Zeboim was? They were those out of those five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed. Those are two of those cities that God brought judgment upon. And here in these four interrogations of God, we see the response to each one of those interrogations. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? My heart is turned within me. How shall I deliver thee up, Israel? My repentings are kindled. How shall I make thee as Adma? I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. And then fourthly, how shall I set thee as Zeboim? I will not destroy Ephraim. And as he utters these four interrogations, he says he will not do it. He will not give her up. He will not deliver her. He will not cast her away. He will not execute the, the he will not execute the fierceness of his anger. Why? Verse 9. Because he is God and not man. And second of all, the Holy One is in her midst. We see God expressing to Israel the nature of his grace. His tenderness is turned within himself. God does not express his anger or mercy as we do. That's why he says, I will not pour out the fierceness of our anger. When we get angry, what do we do? We we can see the anger rising within us. It can be an ugly thing. But God has no passions as a man. He does not have human Passions that change and are often sinful. Matthew Henry says this, To encourage Israel to find mercy, consider this. What is God within himself? He is God and not man, as in other things. So in pardoning sin and sparing sinners, if they offended a man... He could not have borne it. His passion would have overpowered his compassion. And he would execute, he would have executed the fierceness of his anger. But he is God. He is Lord over his anger, where man's anger lords it over him. Wonderful example, and sadly it's becoming quite a, Interesting thing to to see. But when you see the dictator of North Korea. 
Kim Jong-un, who has been called the Rocket Man. He just launched a series of rockets again. It's like he's always trying to build up his arsenal. But God is not like man. God is completely perfect in all his actions. He is not capricious. Note the great love of God toward his wayward children. When somebody offends us, what's our natural response? To strike back in anger, right? But God does not strike back as man does. That even with his wayward children, he is tender even in the midst of his judgments. We need to think more biblically about the attributes of God. We need to think more soberly that God is not like man. That God is controlled in his anger. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Children in what? His being, his wisdom, his power, his justice, his goodness, his holiness, and his truth. And so God is not as man, but he is controlled in his anger. And he always shows mercy, even in the midst of that. And we come to the end the passage there, verses 10 and 11, and we see that there is a time of restoration that awaits the people of God. Verse 10, they will walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. This roaring of the lion, this picture that the prophet gives here depicts that time of restoration that is to come when God will irresistibly bring his people that have been dispersed and he will bring them into, into that promised land. And so there's a picture of hope here, even in the Old Testament, that God will bring that time of refreshing What did the prophet say in Acts chapter 3? Repent for the times of refreshing come from where? They come from the Lord. And so he will bring them into that place. And so it's as if God will roar. God will make himself known as he brings his people into that place where he restores them. And so in verse 12... Beautiful promise. Ephraim or Israel. The ten tribes. That had rebelled against him. Compassed me about with lies. And the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah. Who had not departed as Israel had departed. But Judah yet ruleth with God. And is faithful with the saints. We see here that the Lord God will bring out of that natural branch, out of that branch of Israel, He will bring out a remnant, a remnant that He will restore. But then there will come a future day when God will bring out another remnant from the nation of Israel. He will bring Israel that she might worship God, that she might give her obedience unto Him. Thought of a wonderful prophetic verse from Genesis 49.10 that really sums up the heart of verse 12. 
This is a verse that I had etched in my memory back in 1983 in my Old Testament history class in college. Genesis 49.10 The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Here we find that the Lord will bring that scepter, that rod, within the tribe of Judah. And Judah will continue as a tribe until the Messiah comes in. This word Shiloh is kind of a word that doesn't really have any clear understanding or definition. But Shiloh was a city of Ephraim on the north side of Bethel. And it was a place of rest. It was a place of peace. And the Lord promised Israel that in Judah, He would bring out a ruler, one whose origins are of old, who would gather the people unto Himself. And it is there that He will subdue their hearts unto Him. It is there that He will bring them rest. He will bring them peace. He will bring them comfort. Saints of God, as we enter into this new year, we need to see more clearly the love of Christ. That love that He has for us. That when we spurn the love of God, when we rebel against Him, do those things contrary to Him. We have a ruler in Judah. We have one who has come to rule our wicked and wayward hearts. And if our hearts are not governed by Him, then we shall indeed fall under His judgments. I would urge you this morning as we consider this wonderful prophecy of Hosea, to remember the love of God for His people, that He governs our hearts and inclines our wills and our hearts unto Him. And we need that. Each one of us need that Savior to encompass us and to draw us unto Him. Let us give thanks unto our God and let us sing to the glory of His name. Psalm 90b, turn yet again to us.